Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and I'm coming to you from the Coming Home Network International in Central Ohio, but you're hearing me over EWTN Radio. Uh, and again, I express my great appreciation to EWTN, and I encourage all of you listening to uh, be connected to EWTN with all of their programming. And, and of course, they're a, a nonprofit corporation, so they need all of our support. The goal of this program is to invite uh, often guests who've been on the Journey Home program as well as uh, connected with the Coming Home Network to talk about their continual journey, issues that dealing with Scripture that brought them closer to our Lord Jesus as well as helping them understand the beauty of the church and also how Scripture inspires them to uh, live out apostolate, to live out their mission in life. And some scriptures challenge us very deeply to live a different lifestyle, but particularly challenge us on how to reach out to others to help them discover the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers us, uh, his grace, but particularly how we become uh, members of his church and his body and to experience his um, grace in a life-changing way. And our guest today on Deep in Scripture is Travis Lawmaster. He's the founder and director of Mission One Fellowship, an ecumenical ministry based at the University of Pennsylvania, which focuses on bringing Christians of various ecclesial affiliations together for the purposes of evangelization, outreach to the domestic and international poor, and building unity in the body of Christ. Now, Travis, who's been on the journey home and deep in Scripture before, he studied theology at an advanced level at Franciscan University of Steubenville for Theological Seminary, Seton Hall University. He's been an active uh, participant in Catholic apologetics for many years as a radio host for an EWTN affiliate and has appeared on EWTN and, as I mentioned, Deep in Scripture. He regularly publishes articles on mystical theology on his blog, Soul of Castile, and that's one word, soulofcastile.com, which is primarily dedicated to helping recover and revitalize the discourse of ascetic and mystical theology in the modern church. And as soon as I bring Travis on, I'm going to help ask him to help us understand what that meant. He's a member of the Secular Order of Discalced Carmelites in Philadelphia. Travis, welcome to Deep in Scripture. Thanks, Marcus. Good to be here. It's great to have you back. Uh, good to hear your voice. Uh, as I've mentioned before, my biggest frustration with doing the program like this is I can't just sit and, and talk to you. But uh, the beauty of of, uh, of the media technology that our good Lord has given us allows us to have this program. Uh, you mentioned in the bio there that you've got your website, soulofcastile.com, yeah. uh, which it says is dedicated to helping recover and revitalize the discourse of ascetic and mystical theology. Now, Travis, when you and I were non-Catholics, we didn't use that terminology very often. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about here? <laughs> okay. Well, um, aesthetical and mystical theology, it's a, it's, uh, those are um, uh, branches of uh, spiritual theology. And if we can break uh, theology down into, I guess you'd say, uh, different sub-disciplines. Right. Of course, you know, we have biblical theology, we have... Um, historical you know, theology and church history, mm -hmm. uh, moral theology as we look at you know, the virtues and uh, things that uh, animate the Christian life, and, you know, and then we get into spiritual theology, which um, primarily deals with um, our, you know, our spiritual relationship with God, or the, or the soul's um, relationship with God. And much of, uh, much of spiritual theology then deals with uh, you know, our prayer uh, relationship with God. And when we get into uh, mysticism and Christian uh, Mysticism, um, you know the old the old joke that um, mist is, uh, uh, mysticism is um, mist on one end and schism on the other, and I in the middle. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> well, it, well, we we know that it's much more than that. <laughs> in fact, yeah. uh, it's it's, it's uh, the opposite of those things. Uh, mysticism brings together um, the body of Christ, you know, and members of His body in in Jesus in the, in a deeper uh, conformity to you know, to him through, like we said, through prayer, you know, and a generous living of the gospel. Um, so in no way does it, does it break apart the body, but rather it's, you know, it's, it's a unifying bond. And and, and it is not um, uh, against, you know, that popular uh, understanding. It's not um, I-centered, it's God-centered, right? right? 
and there are other um, mystical religions in the world and other spiritualities that are very centered and person-centered, but uh, Christian mysticism does uh, focus on God. And so when we talk about um, ascetical theology, it comes from the Greek word ascasis, which was uh, used in the ancient world to describe the discipline that an athlete would exercise uh, in preparation for for, um, his contest. And uh, the you know the church fathers of course adopted that um, that imagery to describe the um, the Christian athlete you know uh, uh, the Christian uh, soldier uh, the one who's training for his master and training for eternal life uh, through living a life of prayer self denial um, and, and holiness and so when we talk about ascetical we're we're primarily focused in those early stages of you know Christian um, perfection where we are really um, actively you know, trying to um, rid ourselves of the old man, as uh, St. Paul calls it, and put on the new man, put on Christ, um, you know, through um, a conformity of our, of our former ways to the ways of Christ. And so it's a very active, um, you know, uh, dimension and phase of our Christian life, which then opens up onto the, um, the mystical experiences of God, where, where prayer becomes uh, less and less our doing and more and more yeah. uh, God's, God's uh, infusion, you know, in God's presence. God's infusion of His grace, and, and that leads into, you know, contemplation and, and things like that. So the, uh, the, there's many masters, of course, of, of mystical theology in our, in our tradition in the Church, and most notably in, in a couple of saints that I've been particularly drawn to have been, you know, St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, right. um, the Carmelite saints, who, who kind of give us a roadmap, you know, for, for that kind of journey. Yeah, I was going to say that depending on what Christian theology a person comes from, uh, I came from a more Lutheran and then Calvinist. Well, there wasn't a lot of spirituality, in, in a sense, because of the theology. If you if you approach the spiritual life from the idea that our our will is totally depraved, and that there is nothing that we can do to get closer to God, it is completely by grace that we even know Him. Then often there's there's never a, a push to get closer to Jesus, uh, to grow in union with him. Uh, it's often an emphasis on that initial conversion, and then you've arrived, because right. it was, there was nothing you did to get closer to God. It was all him, and there's nothing you can do to lose it, since it was all a gift. And so the idea of, of pursuing an intimacy uh, is often lost. And I was thinking of, there's two scripture sections that I thought I'd reference. One is a very long and wordy description of what you've just talked about. The other is a very simplistic. The long one comes from Ephesians 3, in which Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, there's the spiritual life, the journey, yeah. the growing in depth and detachment. And then there was the simple answer which John the Baptist gave. He must increase, I must decrease. I mean, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And how we make that journey, I mean, that's what you talk about in the spiritual life, and I, and that's really good stuff. And the verse you've chosen today, it's a long section, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, uh, has, well, let me talk to you about this before we jump into that verse, because I don't know that I want to read it all right away, right? right. Um, uh, but tell the audience in general, what this passage is about and why it's important to you before we dig into it. Okay, sure. Well, uh, the reason I, I really like this passage and often go back to it, um, you know, in reflection upon my own conversion to Christ initially, and, and as you just described, Mark, it's the ongoing sanctification process, yep. which in the Catholic Church we believe is synonymous with our justification, right? God, God, sancti- God justifies us as He sanctifies us. Yep. As we, uh, as you mentioned, Mark, uh, with our free will, 
um, cooperate with the Lord's inspirations uh, until that until we reach that fullness, you know, which will only be realized in heaven. Uh, but uh, through our, our own obedience and generous living of the gospel, it really is from start to finish, um, even from be- before our conversion, a cooperation between the grace of God and our own generous, um, you know, giving uh, giving of ourselves uh, in yeah. faith and obedience to Jesus. And so, in this in this passage, this parable of the sower, uh, and this appears in, in the other, a couple of the other gospels as well. But uh, in Mark's version of it here, uh, we see from uh, from what's happening in the um, in the souls of the disciples here, uh, as they interact with Jesus, um, a cooperation between their own action, you know, their own response to the Word of God uh, in their lives, and then the um, and the independent and free and, and powerful action, you know, grace uh, working behind the scenes and, and within them uh, to to enable them to uh, to live obedient lives. So I think. What Jesus gives us here, in the in particularly the the parable of the sower, and then how the disciples relate with him, in in uh, even getting their own interpretation of that parable from him in their private conference with him after the parable, um, we see uh, a synopsis of of uh, the dynamics involved in Christian conversion, and then also an ongoing sanctification sanctification right up into our final end of uh, reaching heaven. All right, what I'd like to do then, if, if this fits with the way you'd like to process passage, yeah. let me read verses 1 through 10 first. Sure, sure. So this gives us the data of the parable. And let me read this to the audience. And again, this is Mark 4, verses 1 through 10. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it had not much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those who were about him with the twelve asked him concerning the parables. So, Travis, where do we begin then with this story? It's a familiar one to our audience, probably even more familiar to Christ's audience, because they were people of the land. That's right. Yes, and uh, that's a good place to pause there, too, uh, Marcus's verse 10, uh, because it, it gives us that, that parable. Now, going back to, um, to verse 2, it says here that uh, Jesus taught them many things in parables. So what we're going to see for the rest of this chapter, chapter 4 in Mark, is that Jesus begins to unravel um, several parables, you know, in a row, and it's a, a preferential form of teaching for Jesus to uh, communicate heavenly realities to us through the use of a parable. So we see the first thing there is he's going to teach them many things in parable, but there's something special about this parable, right, this, this parable of the sower that we have uh, begun to see here up through verse 10. Um, there's something foundational about that that we'll see as we continue to talk today, but but um, okay. this, this idea of a parable, uh, you know, for, for those who are not uh, familiar with that, that particular form of discourse, you know, the parable was a um, common, uh, a common literary and uh, uh, oratory device uh, in, in the ancient world. Uh, the purpose of a parable is to uh, present a par- uh, parallel, you know, uh, to, um, human real- between human reality and, and heavenly realities in which uh, one thing is used to illustrate another. And as you, you said, Marcus, Jesus is um, often, he was always very in tune with the um, realities around him when it was time to teach. And uh, most scholars believe, you know, Jesus was very spontaneous uh, in his use of parables. Here he's dealing with an agricultural community uh, where, you know, uh, farming imagery is going to make a, a lot of sense to them. So Jesus would convey, um, you know, spiritual truths and realities through a very common earthly um, you know, situations that would be familiar to his audience. And, and the parable is intended to stir curiosity, you know, in the listener, 
and it calls him to really think on a deeper level about what's being said, to kind of look beyond the story to maybe a, a deeper meaning. And that's why I think Jesus says twice here in those verses that you read, in verse 3, listen. You know, he says, listen to his audience, and then at the end in verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? Jesus uh, uh, is teaching a lesson here, but he's also concealing something, you know, within the confines of the parable. Mm-hmm. And he's inviting his audience to really uh, dig, dig into it a little bit and, and see if they might perceive something on a deeper level. When we think about this in relationship, for example, to uh, some of the things he says in the New Law, the Sermon on the Mount, where he uses the image of birds, sparrows, uh, look at the grass, look at the flowers, uh, how God takes care of them. He's drawing their attention to realities in life that they see and feel all around them. But he's challenging them, like you said, to look deeper. There's meaning here. And I don't know about your tradition where you came from, Travis, in in your, uh, I'm trying to remember what you were before you were Catholic, but in interpretation of Scripture, I do believe that this is one of the reasons why, from the beginning, the Church has recognized that there are layers of understanding in biblical study. There's the the literal understanding, and then Uh there's the spiritual understanding. Right. And we can see an event— um, in Scripture that's very real, or maybe it the story isn't true, but it rings true with life. For example, this parable. You know, the farmers listening to him know exactly what he's talking about. There's not someone saying, are you talking about my field? <laughs> he's right. talking about their experience. But then there's a layer, and the Church has said that there are moral layers, there are layers that teach us about uh, Jesus, and then there are layers that teach us about eternity in heaven. Uh, and, you know, this is an example of not only Jesus getting the people, as you said, to look deeper, but it becomes a model for how the church has always looked at not only Scripture, but life and, and truth in general. That's cur- Yeah, that's very good. It's a sort of a sacramental uh, view, you know, where um, things are signified in, in other things. And as St. Thomas Aquinas says, you know, in his uh, discussion of the senses of Scripture, as you just said about that, you know, the, the literal sense uh, of the story is really the, um, the gateway to the, uh, to the other senses that are kind of hidden as layers underneath. And so, uh, in a way, it's, it's the mercy of God, the goodness of God that provides a, a very simple story, you know, here in, in language and images that his audience can understand as sort of the, the gateway, right, to a, to a deeper understanding. In the past, but but there is that invitation, right? That Jesus yep. hints at to to look for look for something a little bit beyond just the the simple farmer story, yep. <laughs> you know. And, and as we see as we move on in the passage, there are, there's simply on that day there are some people that walk away with nothing more than a simple old tale about uh, about a farmer. Maybe some of them scratching their heads like, "Boy, why did Jesus tell that story?" <laughs> there didn't seem to be a whole lot uh, to it. And obviously, Jesus. If he was telling the experience of a farmer, there's a lot more that goes in to the work of a farmer than just what he reveals. But he points out certain aspects from which he will give a spiritual lesson. And I don't know about you, Travis, but when I was a Protestant minister, I did this all the time. That's what allowed us to preach sermons. We would pull a story out of Scripture. We would say what it means. And then we would um, give the meanings to the congregation Mm -hmm. on what difference it makes in their lives. Well, that's what Jesus is doing here. That's correct. And uh, it is, as you said, this phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's challenging them to listen deeper, to listen deeper, even looking at your lives when you're out there with your little hoe digging around. You know, why do you do this? Why do you clean the soil? Why do you get rid of the rocks? Why do you clear away the weeds? So they're seeing it in terms of farming, but then his, his, the, the disciples around him, as in verse 10, say, you know, we know, Jesus, you've got more to tell us in this. You know, yes. Help us see it. So he went on then in verse 11 through 20. Let me read those. Uh, here's his explanation. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. 
so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? You know, Travis, let's stop there. Yeah. Talk a bit about verses 11, 12 through 13, because in a sense, he's saying some harsh things. Mm. For yeah. some, to some people outside of the group. Yeah. Yeah, that really, that really does strike you a little bit. You know, in the midst of this, uh, the, the, the story, the parable, and then the interpretation of the parable, you have these couple striking, you know, verses in the middle here, where Jesus interprets what's going on, you know, spiritually, if you will, for, for folks here. And, and you're right, Marcus, he does, he does make uh, quite a distinction between those uh, who, as it says in verse 10, uh, the Twelve and those who are about them, you know, so in other words, the Twelve and a few, a few of their associates, uh, and then those, as it says, on the, on the outside of things, yep. um, for those outside in verse 11. So you almost have, a, you know, a distinction between the insiders and the outsiders here. And if you, if you look at what Jesus says, about, he says several things to, to contrast them. Let's, let's look, first of all, at a couple things that both groups have in common, you know, the Twelve and the insiders, and then, of course, the, the majority who are on the outside here. What they have in common is they both heard the parable, mm-hmm. and they both uh, don't understand uh, the deeper meaning of it. But that's where their similarities uh, end. Because what we see, um, and just to contrast the insiders and the outsiders, the Twelve and the other insiders come to Jesus and ask him questions. Like you said, they, they, they perceive that there's something more here, and they want to know. There's, a, there's an, earnestness, you know, an earnestness in them that makes them want to know more. And, and that uh, causes them to come to Jesus and seek him out. Jesus went away from the crowd, and they almost had to come find him. Like, where is Jesus? You know, we need to get more of this. There's, there's a drive there on their part. Um, and as you know, Marcus, probably from being ac- in, around academic circles a lot and being a student, uh, you know, sometimes uh, the time when you get the most uh, of the truth of a matter is in that time after class. We go spend a little more time <laughs> with the <laughs> right. professor, and we, we were talking before the show, Marcus, about um, our mutual friend, Scott, uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, right. at Franciscan University. And um, at least back when I was there, working on my master's degree, uh, Scott and Kimberly and their family always had a couple grad students, you know, living um, in their in their large house with them, and uh, it was it was a great delight. And I, I had the opportunity once, you know, one semester to live there with a couple other friends from the grad program uh, with the Hahn family and. Um, and what, what was neat about that was, uh, you know, when, when Dr. Hahn would go over certain things in class, you know, um, my couple friends and I always knew that we'd have much more time and an opportunity to grab them later, you know, and, and uh, get, more into, uh, get more into those questions. And, boy, we, we would spend sometimes uh, an hour or two, you know, having yeah. those conversations where, um, you know, you can really penetrate further in. But, but it, it takes um, some effort. You know, it takes some time investment on the part of the... Um, the uh, disciples here in this story, uh, whereas what we see with the majority is that they just simply walk away. You know, they don't follow up with Jesus. In fact, yeah. it looks like they don't really heed his advice from verse 9 to, um, he who has ears, let him hear. And so Jesus' call to listen is sort of ignored there, and, and you kind of uh, sense a little bit of an indifference on their part, you know, to really want to know uh, that, uh, that deeper meaning. As Jesus progresses in these couple of verses, uh, well, the ante gets a little bit higher, and um, the situation more grave, where he says, um, these folks that, that do hear and don't understand, that see but do not perceive, um, they seem to be lacking a very important gift of God, which is the ability to turn again, in verse 12, and be forgiven. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, so forgiveness is at stake here, and as we know, like, the forgiveness of God um, translates into our justification, our salvation. And so the stakes could not be higher um, for folks to listen to Jesus' words to, you know, he who has ears here, let him hear, and the implication to follow up and to pursue, you know, pursue him more. And it seems like those on the outside are, at least in this moment, are precluded from that gift of forgiveness. Yeah, and there's the mystery of God's grace. When we come back from the break, we're going to begin right there on about this mystery, and we'll see you in a bit. Everyone, you're, you're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Travis Lawmaster, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Travis Lawmaster. Travis, before we jump into the rest of this parable, um, which uh, maybe I'm using up all the time you want to use for this, I hope not, but I wanted to expand a little bit on on the mystery of God's grace that we see in this, because to some people it might seem unfair, you know, that God seems to be playing favorites, but I think we need to be careful from a human perspective, to project on God what we might do if we were God, that God knows us far more than we know ourselves. And what I want to paint is a difference between two characters in Scripture, just to, for you to re- talk about, even from your more spiritual standpoint that you spend a lot on, on how, for example, Paul's response to the call of Jesus was radically different than the rich young ruler's response. Because Paul says in Philippians 3, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuge in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I mean, by grace, Paul came to that answer when the seed was planted in his soil. And we remember the story of the rich young ruler when Jesus challenges him and the rich young ruler turns away. I mean, there we see the two different men encountered by Jesus, but grace worked in the soil of their lives in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, and uh, and both both of those men received uh, what you might call uh, grace that was exterior to themselves, right? Yeah. In the revelation of Jesus Christ, right. uh, Paul saw him in a vision. Uh, the rich young man saw him in in person in the flesh um, uh, when, before Jesus had ri- risen from the dead. But uh, both of them, you might say, received um, an equal opportunity uh, to what we might call uh, external grace. You know, grace uh, through the Word of God, uh, Jesus Himself, that is presented to them from from outside of themselves. Now, what's what's happening then? Uh, we believe as Catholics and, and in the Church, and this has been taught since the days of the, the Church Fathers, yeah. uh, as early as um, you know, we could even see it in Saint Justin Martyr, for example, in the second century, is that um, there is a, an invisible reality going on. Uh, with grace, at the same time the external is happening, an internal action is happening as well. 
and that's what the Church has come to call a prevenient grace, uh, from the Latin meaning coming before, um, uh, uh, an assistance from God, an actual grace uh, from the Holy Spirit that prepares the soul, uh, like the soils in this passage, prepares it and tills the soil to make it good soil, to enable it to um, receive uh, the Word of God. However, as the uh, Church Fathers have taught you know, from the beginning of the Church, uh, man man in his free will has, has a role, has a cooperation, reception of the grace. And so uh, as the Spirit moves our, our heart to be able to receive the truth and grace from Jesus Christ, um, we, um, we have an actual participation in that. And not, not all uh, Christian um, uh, believers um, subscribe to that doctrine. You know, the, yeah. the radical, uh, you know, Calvinists, for example, will, will talk about um, an irresistible grace when it's presented to the soul by God, when God is um, intending to save a soul, to justify a soul, the soul really has no choice but to cooperate, and uh, and uh, there's really no um, there's really no merit to the to the soul because it's automatic. But that has not been what um, uh, our Christians have taught since the time of the apostles. Uh, an interesting quote, uh, Marcus, from Saint Justin Martyr on that, uh, from his first apology in, in 158 years. So um, he he makes an interesting point about. It. He says, you know, quote, unless the human race um, has the power of avoiding evil and choosing good by free choice, they are not accountable for their actions. Right. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, for, for neither would, would he be worthy of reward or praise uh, uh, did he not of himself choose the good, but were created for this end, nor if he were evil, um, would he be worthy of punishment? You know, uh, so, so in other words, um, you know, the, the whole notion of eternal reward and punishment hinges upon man having some kind of uh, responsive, moral responsibility and accountability uh, in his actions. And then one other quote I'll just add to that, Marcus, is yeah. um, from a lesser-known church father, Tatian the Assyrian, writing around the same time as uh, Justin. I, I like his, his way of putting it because it's very concise and very just to the point. <laughs> he says, quote, We were not created to die. Rather, we die by our own fault. <laughs> our free will has destroyed us. We who were free have become slaves. We have been sold through sin. Nothing evil has been created by God. We ourselves have manifested wickedness. But we who manifested the wickedness are able to reject it. Yeah. Okay, so, so there's a unanimous voice uh, from yep. the early Church on that um, the rich young ruler and Paul on the road to Damascus all had an opportunity, when the grace was there to assist them to accept Jesus and his truth, um, to cooperate with that grace and say yes, or to use the language of this uh, a parable, you know, from Mark chapter 4, mm-hmm. to, to follow Jesus and, and, and seek more from him, you know, to turn to Jesus rather than uh, to walk away. There, there is a merit and there is punishment based on how, you know, the degree to which we cooperate with God's grace. Well, let's hear then the, and thanks for that, Travis, that was great, the, let's hear then his explanation that those around him are saying, what does this mean? What does this mean? And he, he turns and he says, um, he gives explanation. And verse 14, the sower sows the seed, sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which is sown in them. And these, in like manner, are the ones sown upon rocky ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the delight in riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown upon the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. All right, Travis, um, particularly in your transition to the Catholic Church, was well, did you understand what Jesus was teaching these men in a different way? Yeah, I... Um you know what? What I see in it now, I guess you'd say, through the the lens of you know the Catholic Church, as right. we we take together the analogy of faith, we call it right in the Catechism, of you mm-hmm. know keeping in mind all of the doctrines and so forth. We 
I mean, one thing, just a couple things that really strike me here. First yep. is if you think about the original um, telling of the story at the beginning of this chapter, the, the sower of the Word is very generous, um, very um, indiscriminate in his sowing of the seeds. <laughs> it falls on all kinds of soils. And so, um, again, that idea of ex- external grace, extrinsic grace, uh, just being um, widely available out in the world as the, as the gospel is proclaimed. And, of course, we further that effort by our own um, sharing of the gospel ourselves and our own preaching. As St. Paul says, you know, um, in Romans 10, how can they believe uh, in, in the one they have not heard of? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So we're all called to participate uh, as Jesus, the, the generous sower, does. However, the problem in this passage, the problem is not um, a lack of the word, and it's certainly not a lack of power in the word. It really, uh, it really is a problem in the soils. And there's three, there are three soils that don't measure up here, and then one that is good. Mm-hmm. And what we see in the soils is um, we also see manifest what, what has become a traditional um, distinction in, in Catholic spiritual theology, which is the three classic enemies of the soul. Um, being active as well. So in addition to man's need to cooperate with grace, we also have some other obstacles in the way <laughs> that are going to maybe pre- prevent him from, uh, you know, from responding with that faith and embracing Christ. And, and Jesus lays those out here. In the first soil, we have this hard path, right, in, in verse 15, where Satan is, a, is an active character there, coming and taking away the word which is sown. And so we see Satan as one of the enemies of the soul, and his whole uh, agenda is to get us to not exercise faith uh, to doubt and and to turn our turn ourselves on uh, against God, um, uh, the the second soil is a rocky soil, where um, I guess you say when the heat is on, uh, using the first part of the passage, when the when the scorching comes from the sun, and the, that scorching comes when people turn on the heat through persecution, or other difficulties that arise in in living a generous uh, gospel life. But what we see lacking in the second uh, type of soul is the cardinal virtue of fortitude. Right, or endurance uh, in the face of trials. Um, the virtue of fortitude is what helps us confront fear, and there's sort of a self-preservation going on here that refuses to, uh, to suffer, uh, and, and that was one of the um, you know, primary uh, failings of, of the first man, Adam, in the garden when he failed to fight against Satan as well. So there, there's a lack of fortitude and endurance there. And then in the third soil, we have these thorns that, you know, I really like this image that Jesus is using here. Thorns grow around the plant to choke its life. But if you can imagine the imagery there of, of thorns growing alongside the plant, the plant thinks it's healthy, Marcus, you know, thinks everything's great. <laughs> yep. And then slowly but surely these thorns, right, uh, gr- you know, grasp around it, and then pretty soon they're slowly choking off the air. And, you know, I mean, the, um, the nutrients for the... Um, for the plant, and the plant uh, dies slowly. And that's, that's how these thorns can work in our lives. Um, these are cares of the world, desire for other things. Uh, the way Catholic theology talks about it, an inordinate attachment right, mm-hmm. to worldly things, right. uh, looking to things uh, in the world and, uh, for, you know, for our good, for our, um, for our ultimate happiness, whereas God is really our only good. So, and, of course, Satan can be active in, in trying to inspire us to do that as well. And so there's a lack of, um, I guess, the, the virtue that's lacking in that third soil, the, the thorny soil, is temperance, right? A moderation, an ability to uh, abstain um, from certain desires and of the flesh and so forth to, in order to keep our, our hearts united with God as our, as our ultimate good. Okay, so those are, uh, we see the world, our own flesh, and the devil, you know, the messages of the world, the values of the yep. world, they're all warring against souls here. As these souls are trying to cooperate with the prevenient grace of God, uh, offering offering them the opportunity for conversion, and yet Jesus says, then there's this fourth soil, who uh, when they hear the word, they uh, immediately receive it with joy. Uh, I'm sorry, that's that's from the earlier one. Yeah. They um, they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And again, if you're a farmer and you're thinking uh, thirty times, I mean. Twofold would be an amazing harvest. You know, Marcus forgot in this culture. <laughs> Thirty-four. That's like that's just a ridiculous amount yeah. of of harvest here. And what Jesus is trying to say is, when you give yourself, you can never outgive God. Uh, when yeah. you give yourself to uh, obedience and uh, and faith, God will um, will shower the merit, you know, and the rewards down upon you in ways you can you can never uh, conceive. And that comes through um, hearing the word, accepting it and responding to Jesus, as we see the 12 start to do in those earlier verses we saw earlier in the passage. Mm -hmm. Let's take another break, Travis. When we come back, let's dig again 
deeper into it, especially as we think of our audience joining us today. Let's, you know, what difference do these make in our lives today? So we'll come to that when we come back from the break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Mark Scrodi, joined today by Travis Lawmaster, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Travis Lawmaster. Travis, I've got a couple things I'd like to throw out at you here and then uh, and then have you respond to. Because um, I love this parable, and I've been in ministry now almost 35 years. It scares me, but uh, some form of ministry Protestant and then now, of course, Catholic. And this passage has always been important to me. Of course, it was important to uh, uh, Blessed John Paul, too. Um, when I look, first of all, at these three soils, actually four soils, but the three, it also reminds me of stages in our own spiritual lives. Because when we were children, often, in the soil one, we heard that we were taught, but for the, the, but it never flourished. The seed was planted in our lives, but it never produced very much for many of us. And that second soil kind of reminds us of what happens many times when we're teenagers. We may have a, a born-again experience. We may get really excited, uh, enthusiastic. We receive it with joy, but it's not very deep, and it drifts away. Um, and then that third soil kind of reminds us when we're a little older, and maybe we've got families and we've got jobs, and we've got all the distractions in our life, and they're there, Right? And maybe we're more mature and we want to respond to that seed that's been planted in us. But we have all these other distractions. And so you can see the journey of that uh, in these soils, not just in different people, but in one person, in each of us. And, uh, but I wanted to add to that that I'm, I do own a farm. I'm the worst farmer that ever existed. But one thing I've discovered on my land is in one part of my land, there's an acre covered with weeds, just overgrown with uh, bad trees and thorns and junk, kind of like the third soil. And I had a guy come out with a bulldozer, and he just pushed everything away, so it was down to the bare dirt, just pushed it away. And I had meant to go out and plant, but because of distractions, I didn't get back to it. But what was amazing is after a year, it all grew up again. And that kind of modern parable reminds me that even in all three of these soils, it doesn't say that the seeds are gone. The seeds are still there with the potential of growth if we can deal with the problems in the soil. Mm-hmm. Does that ring true to you? Yes, absolutely. I, I like I like how you're looking at this because you're right. I mean, we, we started today in saying that... Um, this is a great paradigm for our initial conversion, but of course, yes, this, this also deals with our ongoing um, sanctification in Christ and that process of, uh, as we said, you know, the Catholic Church teaches we're being justified as we're being sanctified. And, and in a sense, you know, Jesus is always um, asking us to um, have ears to hear, right, mm-hmm. and to listen. And, um, and there, is a, uh, there is a potential for us to become uh, complacent in that and to need to I dig deep again, right, and clear those things away. Yep. Uh, all of us are su- all of us are subject to that, and so uh, we we we, um, we need to be careful not to become comfortable uh, in our in our Christian life and, and realize that not only um, are those are those thorns in, in, in the you know the messages of the world there and in our flesh, but remember Satan is always on the prowl, as Peter says, right, yep. 
um, to take us down. And so, um, yeah, what I, what I really get from this, Marcus, is just that invitation Jesus makes to you and to me and all of us every day, which is, um, will you listen today? Will, will you come to me today to get more? And uh, I think a good sign that we're growing in the spiritual life is if we are, uh, you know, constantly on the lookout against these enemies of the soul, but, but also getting more parables, if you will, you know, digging deeper into the teachings of Jesus, getting more of that secret of the kingdom of God, the, the mysterion. I was going to talk, talk about that word real briefly, that word um, secret of the kingdom, secret there is mysterion in Greek. Mm-hmm. Uh, mysterion means um, not, not so much something mysterious. Back then it referred to... Um, uh, you know, a, a truth that was really revealed to someone who was initiated into a group. Mm-hmm. And for those on the outside of the group who were not initiated, that, that sort of a reality remained meaningless to them. And so it's not necessarily something that's very complicated to get and to acquire. It just it requires initiation, right, into the group to, to have its context and for it to be intelligible. And, um, you know, so we were kind of touching on what you said earlier, Marcus, of you know, some people might say, well, Jesus is being very exclusive here. You know, he's only really allowing a very small number of people into the, de- the depths of the Christian life. But if you go on even into the next uh, parts of this chapter, even in the next verse where it says, Jesus says, there's a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel, in verse 21, and, or under a bed and not on a stand. <laughs> he says, there is nothing hid except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. There's the invitation again. And then finally he wraps up that little section by saying, Take heed what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. For to him who has will more be given, and from him who has not, what he has will be taken away. So what I see in those verses is is an optimistic view here, that Jesus wants to give us more in our Christian life and to penetrate these mysteries of the kingdom, you know, these, these truths that we're initiated into through our baptism and our faith, in a deeper, deeper way and on a continual basis. But he says to us, I'm going to lift the bushel. I'm going to lift the basket from over the lamp. I'm going to lift the parable, if you will, from the truth beneath the parable for you. If you if you give a good measure yourself, you know, are you willing to continue to give? Because to those who give, more will be given. But if we stop giving, right, and if we stop pursuing Jesus on a daily basis and go for a deeper conversion with him for the rest of our lives on earth, then um, even what we have uh, can be taken away, and that's a little bit sobering there. And I've seen it in the lives of some of my friends, you know, who started out uh, really well and walked for many years, but had lost some of it because they lost that zeal to, to continue to pursue Jesus. Yeah, and I, I, I remember when I would try and see this from a Calvinist perspective, and what I've come to discover over the years is that the, one of the biggest difference between the way I looked at things from a Protestant perspective versus the way that I looked at things from a Catholic perspective is that when I found myself up against seemingly contradictory truths, the sovereignty of God, the freedom of man's will, how do I deal with that? You know, predestined from all time versus the freedom of the will, that Protestants got caught up in either or. It was one or the other. Whereas Catholics from the beginning, we've appreciate the mystery of of God, and that there's a sense in which the, God is fully sovereign, yet we are totally free to decide for God. Both are true. How? We don't know. Our response is to obey, to surrender, to follow. Um, and the, the part that God plays, we are grateful and thankful to his grace that even opened our mind in the first place to want to grow. There's that Mr. Mr mysterious uh, partnership. And it comes out in this parable, um, verse 20, where Jesus says to those who hear and accept and bear fruit. In the parallel passage in Matthew chapter uh, 13, verses uh, 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is he who hears the word and understand it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. You see, there's that mystery. Our ability to hear is a combination of God's gift of hearing and our choice to hear. Our understanding, a combination of God's grace that opens our understanding, but we also have to apply ourselves. The acceptance is the mystery of God in ourselves. And even the producing of fruit, it isn't totally passive. 
we have to actively seek to produce fruit. And my guess is, Travis, that's really what you try to communicate in your blogs about growing in spirituality. It's a combination of what God does and what we must do in our active participation as sons and daughters of God. That's correct. And there, there's all kinds of ways, Marcus, as you know, that, that it continues to manifest, right, as our Christian life um, advances towards our ultimate goal with heaven. And, you know, one, one conversation that came to my mind when I was reading this passage, and I need to just go back to the Word and study this more deeply, but you know, I was talking with a friend two days ago, a young man who's on a different, you know, just in a particular place in his journey with God, and this, you know, this is a little different for him, but he, he feels a call to the priesthood, for example. And here's another way where Jesus is inviting him, um, in particular, to a, a particular you know vocation in life that will um, uh, insert him more deeply into his his mystery, you know, with Christ. And and as, as I was talking about it, you know, he was talking about the struggle he has sometimes of thinking about living as a priest, you know, and, and the things he may need to sacrifice uh, for that and so forth. But if you think about um, like a call to a, um, a vocation, for example, um, it's very similar to the call to conversion. In fact, there's a grace attached to vocation that is similar to the grace of conversion. You know, and if you, if you think about, um, you know, for example, um, when Jesus talks about those who may be called to the priesthood, for example, who um, are called to live as what Jesus says in Matthew 19, as eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. um, he, he wraps up that chapter in first, uh, Matthew 19 with the words, you know, um, not all men can receive the same, uh, saying, but to the, only those to whom it has been given. And, you know, we see the giving of a yep. gift again, and that word dedotai for given is the same word that we see here, um, that to you has been given, the, you know, the secret of the kingdom. And then, as Jesus says here in this passage, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, Jesus says in Matthew nineteen twelve, he who is able to receive this, let him receive it. And um, so that... Uh, that uh, chronosion, or you know, the, the word used for receiving, there is very similar to. So that's just an, uh, an analogy. But you know, he was my friend was talking about the challenge of you know the world and all the messages, and you know, thinking about being a priest. And and I encouraged him, you know, uh, to continue pursuing Jesus and ask him for the grace, because God right. will never deny help for us to live more more deeply inserted into His mystery as He leads us. If we will just, uh, if we will ask for that grace, He will never turn us away. He gives us the grace to hear and to understand and to accept and to bear fruit. But we've got to want it, and we've got to make an effort, which again is empowered by grace. And so if we want to grow closer in to Christ, we should seek in prayer to hear, to understand, to accept, and to do all we can to get rid of the stuff that stands in the way so that we can bear fruit for the glory of God. Travis, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Marcus. Thank you. God bless, my friend. And all of you listening, thank you for listening, and God bless. I'll see you again next week.